Friends, welcome to the Well at Heart podcast here in the week of January 16th. We're glad that you are back with us. And as you know, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever your day has been, we deeply desire that in this moment, this is a sacred space, that it is a kingdom of God encounter. It is an opportunity for you to step out of the madness and the heartache or the excitement and the thrill or the adrenaline or wherever you are. And so we begin with some moments to release all things to Jesus. We practice benevolent detachment. Just let it go for right. You can let it go for right now. So take a few moments as we say, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. Lord, I give everyone and everything to you. And because what the soul most deeply needs is union with God, we pray for union. We pray for oneness. Jesus, restore our union. I need union. I need oneness with you. Restore our union, Lord. Oh, folks, it's just such a better way to enter into, frankly, any moment, but it's a really good way to enter into this one. So, yeah, welcome back, everyone. Got a really exciting announcement for you this week. We're going to tell you about a new book that we are stoked about. And Alan is in the studio again with me this week. Alan. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going good. (laughs) Really good. Yeah, excited for this. But before we tell you what it is, it has to do with Eden. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with your own story, listeners. I want to go back to a story you told, Alan. And I don't know that you've told it on the podcast, but you were sharing it with us as a staff. Yes. I think this is two years ago. It was almost exactly two years ago. And you were on this epic conference speaking recording kind of marathon right? and blew your voice out. And totally blew my voice out. I hadn't even, John, until that time, realized there was a need to take care of my voice. I mean, you just I just kind of opened my mouth and spoke, and it always worked. But after some intense speaking and public presentations, it was so much in a concentrated period that I woke up the next day and had about 20% of my voice, just very hoarse, raspy, couldn't put any power behind it. It sounded like you'd been smoking two packs a day. <laughs> well, it did. And and I mean, I tried everything. Uh, I tried not speaking for a couple of days. My kids actually love that uh, because I had a whiteboard <laughs> and they just would never look at me or the whiteboard. And so... They enjoyed it, but yeah, nothing worked. You know, I tried tea, home remedies. Finally, after, gosh, several weeks, maybe three weeks, and we were trying to do podcasts. And and I mean, it it was tough. And so I went to an ENT specialist, ear, nose, throat specialist, 
And he put a scope down my throat and said, yep, this happens with a lot of singers and speakers. It's it's basically some nodules. And because of your vocal cords not being able to open and close correctly, nothing's going to change until you have surgery. And the soonest he could do surgery was over two months away. So at that point, you it know, would have been over three months. That's a scary thing to have your doc tell you, yeah, you've got these nodules in your throat and you need surgery. Right. Like, I'm not sure that I'd let somebody go down in there with a knife. To him, I mean, he does probably hundreds of these a year. That's his specialty. So it was no big deal. It was, you know, and on on the one hand, it was good news that it wasn't something more serious, more severe. Of course. But on the other hand, I, I just left the appointment not just down because it was two months away before I could have this cure, but it just felt down because something else didn't feel right in that, yeah, I I believe in the doctor. I know he could do a good job. I know this would probably fix everything. And yet there was an internal discomfort with the progression of that story that I couldn't name in the office at that time. Came to staff prayer. Ask for prayer. Yep. And then how did God come? Well, so the two-month window, it got down to the weekend before the procedure. So, you know, a month and three and a half weeks. And it was the start of June. I was out in my yard doing yard work. And I was taking a break. It was a really hot day. I sensed God as I was sitting there say, do you want story one or story two? And I wasn't thinking about my voice at that time. I mean, I was kind of used to it. It was a it was a pain, but I wasn't even sure what he meant by story one or story two. <laughs> I love this. You're out in the backyard, you're cutting the grass, and God says, Hey, Alan, you want door number one or door number two? Right. Yeah. And I had no idea what like how do you choose? It felt like an important question. And a little bit playful because God knew I didn't know what either of those meant, but it was actually a chance to have a conversation with him. So I just set all the equipment down that of what I was doing in the yard and what John, he was saying, I came to see is story two was the direction I was headed in, which was basically kind of how the world works. You have a problem, you see a specialist, you do the thing, and you move forward. Whether that's in finances or whether that's a, a you know a vehicle that has a problem or whether it was my throat, right, and my voice. And there was nothing inherently wrong with that. But what he said was, there's a better story, a different story, story one, if you want to enter into that with me. Did he tell you what it was? At the time, he didn't. There was no sense that story one would provide a cure for my voice right then. In fact, it created a little bit of tension within me because story two felt like the far more sure bet for getting my voice back. I mean, I'd been waiting months, and now we were days away. And all I had to do was show up. And when I walked out, after a couple of weeks rest— of the vocal cords, I would have my full voice back. Oh, these rich golden tones would be back. (laughs) And the other option was the only guarantee seemed to be 
I get an adventure with God. I'm stepping into something with no promise of a voice returning. My sense was, hopefully he would, but I just knew, John, that's the story I have to go into. Because if I did the procedure as scheduled, story two, even if I got my voice back, like that was the expectation, I would have never known what story one was or why God disrupted me in such a, a beautifully unexpected way. And so I knew I had to follow that story. I could not live oh my goodness. without knowing what was that going to be. This is reminding me of an absolute watershed moment in my life when right before the creation of this ministry. I had left Washington, D.C., and I walked away from kind of that whole world. I didn't want to be in the politics policy, you know, thing anymore. Was back in Colorado, got a phone call from a different firm in D.C. offering like twice the amount of money and offering some really cool opportunities. I can't tell who some of those people are still alive and around, so I can't say who it was, but, but it was a really, really cool job. And I would be, you know, interfacing with some of the major leaders in the country and in the world, but in like spiritual retreats and a spiritual context. I'm like, I am made for this. This is perfect. But I couldn't tell if God was in it or not, or if it was just the world baiting me back because everything else about DC just absolutely killed me. And so I went backpacking for the weekend and I was up seeking God in the mountains. And he simply said this, he said, you know, you could take that John, John, it's not a sin. He says, but actually I'm headed this direction. Mm. And this direction was pure wilderness. It was pure unknown. It, 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 wow. Yeah, it was, it was grad school, which I didn't have any money to pay for. And it, it was the unplanned road yes. versus the very clearly planned road. And as Robert Cross said, I took the road less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. But wow. that, I just thought of that yeah. as you're telling yeah. the story one, story two thing. So you're saying, God says, look, it's not a sin. Right. You could get the surgery. Right. But I have a different offer for you. Exactly. And I didn't uh, choose story one right there in the yard. I, I honestly sat with it. Because there was there was a playfulness, but there was a gravity to it. Mm-hmm. And when I decided after prayer, and and my wife and I prayed, and it was a beautiful time of prayer and a sense afterwards of, yep, story one is what we want to enter into. And so that Monday morning, I call the ENT office, get the uh, assistant to the to the doctor, and. You know, she's like, yeah, Alan, we're ready to go. I think it was like a day, maybe two away at most. Where everything's ready. Thanks for calling and checking in. And I said, well, actually, I, I'm going to cancel the procedure. And there was just this silence on the phone. And she said, can I ask why? And it was one of those awkward moments, John, where it's one thing to walk with God into his invitation and the unknown. But then when you're trying to explain it <laughs> to, to somebody who— To your mechanic, right. your doctor, your accountant. Uh, yeah. 
And so I had a choice then of, okay, God, what do I say and what do I, you know, what do I hold back? And I just said, well, honestly, I just am sensing from God, God has another option for me right now, not another surgery, but I'm just going to hit pause on it. Because honestly, John, I didn't know if God in a month or two would say, now do the surgery. Okay. Because it, it was never a sense that the surgery's bad or wrong. And so there were just crickets on the line. And she said, okay, well, just know we're several months out. So when basically when you're ready to have your voice back, just call us and we'll get you in as quick as we can. And it was unnerving because this sense of doubt wanted to get in of, oh, am I doing something crazy here? Like what? And I know God heals through doctors, but that was the that was the story I wanted to enter into, was story one. And so the day of the surgery comes, I'm at home, middle of the week, normal day, nothing happens. I don't even really hear anything from God that day. There's no additional information or intel. Way to go, Ellen. Right. I'm so proud of you. Right. You're yeah. right. No assurance. Just kind of silence that day. And that continued on the next day afterwards. And it was the third day after the surgery that I woke up and said good morning to my wife and realized I have my full voice back. Like it wasn't a, a transition, a gradual, it's 10% better. It was my full voice back. And I was blown away because honestly, at that point, I had made peace with, it's okay if I don't have my voice back and in this day it's the same as long as I know I'm in the story God's inviting me into, which is one of him at the epicenter of everything. And it doesn't have to be a guarantee of healing. It doesn't have to be a guarantee of fast or quick. I just want to be in that story with him. So when my voice was back that morning, it was wild. It was unexpected. And it's been back for the last two years. And I've done a lot of back-to-back -back speaking since then, a lot of uh, you know, being at sports events where I'm yelling and and using a you know for the team and cheering them on, and it's been great. So that was the beginning for me of an introduction of there's a different way to process how to live. Mm. Now, folks, this actually isn't a podcast about healing prayer. This isn't even a podcast about Jesus stories, although that's a really cool Jesus story. What that did was it started a process for you mm -hmm. over the last couple of years of thinking about what story do I want? Right. What story am I living in? Yes. What story is the world offering me? What story is God inviting me into? And the fruit of that is your new book. So Alan's got a new book, everybody, and we're stoked. It's called The Eden Option, Choosing a Story One Life in a Story Two World. And it's a beautiful book. It's actually very creatively done as well. It's like an easy read book. Mm -hmm. I don't want to call it a bathroom book, but, you know, it's like <laughs> Please that. Please don't call it that. <laughs> you can sit down and, and flip through a couple of pages, and, and the way it's laid out and the design is, is very clever, very creative to take people on a journey thinking about story one and story two, thinking about Eden and this world. 
Yeah. Well, actually, John, the first thing, after I got my voice back, God brought me into a whole way of seeing life that was super helpful, which was even as believers, we tend to spend, I I think, most of our life in story two. And by that, I mean, story two is basically how do we make life work on our own terms? How do we, we believe in God? We are saved, you know, all of that. We go to church, all those things, but we still ultimately have gotten so used to the way the world works that now we try to enter into our days and adapt to life as it comes at us to make it work however we can. Well, and when you live in a developed world, anywhere in the developed world, yes, you've got a lot of options. Right. You can buy a house from your cell phone. You, right. you can book a flight and get on it in 30 minutes. Like It's just amazing what is within our grasp. Yes. And it gives that illusion. And frankly, it's a very, very tempting illusion that, no, we can fix this. Just see your surgeon, call your accountant, talk to your travel agent. Right. Change your kid's class, you know, get a new teacher. Totally. Right? Totally. And so story two, it just feels normal because it's a story we're born into. It's the world we're born into. Mm. And so even as we come to know God, we still are operating, I think, under some really faulty assumptions that don't allow us to have the story we were created for. And so... What I quickly ended up going in my own mind into is, well, wait a minute. If story two isn't the right story, and it is the story, even as a believer, that I operated from far Mm. more than I realized, Mm. well, what happened to story one? Like, if story one's the original story, well, how did it get lost, or, or where did it go, or why haven't I heard more about it? And that started the journey that led to the book, The Eden Option, because it was really a journey into, I want to understand where the story we were created for was lost. And once I know that, I want to try to somehow get it back and live from that place. I think everyone does in some core part of their being. The friends of God yearn for a life with God. But story two has just become so functional for us. We, we are functional agnostics. Right. Right? Right. And the journey, you know, C.S. Lewis has this great quote that says, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. And that's a little of what I think it feels like when you decide story two actually isn't the truest, realist story that I can spend my days in, nor is it what God created us for. And so to everyone in story two, like when I call the ENT office, it feels a little bit like you've lost your mind. Oh, you're the wingnut. Oh, it's awkward. You know, you want to, I found myself wanting to kind of soft pedal <laughs> and and shift and, and quickly end the call, right? And um, yes. But story one, what I found as I went on this journey was that was the story God created us for in Eden. Mm. 
And John, you have spent a lot of time in the book Resilient and 30 Days to Resilient, inviting us to know what it means to have an Eden heart. And so God has been bringing me into a journey based on your invitation and and your teachings on if story one was the story that was paradise, was what Adam and Eve were created for, a place where there was union with God, where they walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden, and where he was at the epicenter of everything, then what happened to that story? And, you know, we're all familiar with the fall and where Adam and Eve chose the wrong tree. And I mean, we hear about that from childhood in church, right? In Sunday school. But we almost go from creation to the fall in one breath. And what we skip over is who knows how long there was paradise and there actually was union and there actually was intimacy in all of life in the garden for Adam and Eve. That was what was lost. That was story one. And I think now, at least for me, when I used to to consider that story, it was like, well, I'm really ticked off at Adam and Eve for for causing that story to be broken or or lost. But, you know, maybe we get some of that back in the coming kingdom. Yeah. As opposed to actually we can reclaim some of that now and are actually meant to. I think the whole attack of the enemy is to keep us kind of in this muddied vision of what the best of life can be based on what's the best story too can be. And we settle for that. And so my journey was if story one was lost in Eden, but we were created for Eden, well, then how do we enter back into that today? And and God used my voice and the story in the yard to begin just me understanding those terms and the invitation, but the book really goes into more depth of how do we enter into story one? How do we leave story two and enter into story one? And I, I talk about there were four things that Adam and Eve I believe, really lost in Eden. And that was their Eden union, union with God. It was their Eden voice. In other words, how to speak and co-create with God and, and live in that reality. It was Eden vision. How do we see the world around us? How do we see others? How can we be fully seen, known, and loved? And then Eden rest. Because in story two, there's not a lot of true rest. It is just go, go, go. The more you want to be, the more you have to do. And we tend to, if we do rest, it's seen as it's just a recharge for what's ahead. And the whole purpose of rest is just to do more, to be back with a full charge. So would you say to our listeners that the story two life is the story you can build with the resources around you. And the story one life is the story that God is inviting you into, mysterious as it may be, in any given situation. Not not just your career. Right. Not just your church life, right? Not just relationships, but day-to-day, 
Yeah, absolutely. Early on in the book, to kind of make it easy for the reader to see what I'm talking about, I put a parallel between story one and story two. And I'll just read you a couple of the things in it. But story one is God at the center. Story two is we're at the center. Story one is where we're seen and known. Story two is where we're largely unseen and unknown. Story one is we're loved for who we are. Story two is loved for what we do. It just goes on and on of, you know, how do you know if you're in story one or story two? Well, if you don't know, it's almost a guarantee, John, that you're in story two because story one takes an active choice to enter into. We're born in story two. So story two will feel more familiar. And actually, we start to serve a story to God, which is less than God really is because it's framed by the world's interpretation of, well, God doesn't really speak. I mean, that would be a story two belief. Yeah. Or he doesn't heal. He doesn't be a heal. Story two. Story two. Or, um, well, I've tried everything else. I might as well pray. That's a story to believe. Like it, you know, God is the rescue when all else doesn't work. And and story two is filled with scarcity. It's filled with fear, worry, anxiety. It's a world where we just are trying to get by, trying to hold on. And and so many people right now are losing faith and they're giving up on God. Uh, and I really believe that's because they're finding the God of story two isn't enough. And that's true because God isn't a story two God. He's a story one God. But the the issue is we have to get into the story God is telling mm. and then have a life where God is at the epicenter. Because again, like the main story one definition is and I, and I put this early on in the book, is story one is the original true story we were made for, a way of life with God at the epicenter. Story two is the default narrative we're born into. It tries to make life work without God's active, intimate presence. You know, I think for most people of faith, people who would claim, I believe in God, go to church, I like that stuff. Like I'm oriented towards, they would say that. Like, no, I'm in. Right. God is essentially the backup plan. God is there when all your other options fail. But what they do is approach most of their day out of their personal resources, out of the, you know, again, if you live in a developed part of the world, you got a lot of options at your hand. Well, I can go to this clinic. I can see this educator. I can do this. Yes. Right. And then once all those options fail, well, I have God. And isn't that the story? Yeah. And that's what I lived in way too long. Even when I felt like I started a journey of sonship, I still was basing a lot of my view of life on well, this is just the way the world works. And so now how do I take my beliefs into that? And doubt seems pretty normal with most people. Mm -hmm. And limited breakthrough seems pretty normal, even among the the believers. Limited experiences yes. of God. And, and basically not being in awe of God, not having a desire to just get to know him better. 
as a father, as a creator, as as a friend. And so story two, I, I say it's God dash less, not godless, but there's just less of God in the story of how your day goes, of of how you make decisions. Yeah. Alan, I'm thinking about your life as you're telling this and the story of what I think in the Jesus stories, you might've told this one. One of your kids was in a really difficult situation in school. Your default story two thing is I'm picking up the phone and I'm going to, you know, ream this guy a new one and, and, and set things right in my own effort. And God said, don't, don't make that call. Right. You're like, don't, what are you talking about? This is the way you handle things. Right. God's like, no, put the phone down, let me. Right. And yeah, that's, if if we're driven and I've been, I've struggled with my last several decades of, of being a very driven man who would try to make it happen in his own strength and oftentimes had some success at that, but very little God in that. And actually, it hurt a lot of relationships and it was not a winsome or even, it was not even a way of living that depended on God. And John, in the last decade, God's really been healing that part of me. But if I had bulldozed in, in that example you just gave with the coach, well, something might have happened in terms of just on a surface level of being fixed, but it would have damaged the relationship with my child. It would not have created anything good in relationship with the coach or the team of that school. And you wouldn't have had story one. Right. Which goes on, folks, if folks haven't heard that, it goes on that God made you basically silent for a month. Right. And he didn't take your voice away. He just said, don't pick up the phone. Don't pick up the phone. Don't pick it. And then finally, you were you were invited by your child in, and it was a completely different story because God was at the center of it. Right. God made it really clear, you need to wait until your child gives you permission to do this. And if they don't, don't. And so it ended up being a rescue for their heart long before anything on the team happened. And and John, really, this is a whole way of looking at life differently. One of the things in the book I go into is we are trained as a society and a culture to believe the hero's journey model, which is basically every movie, every novel. It is the the individual sets out into the unknown on a quest. They make choices, they find a sage or a mentor. You can see this in everything from Star Wars to Indiana Jones to The Wizard of Oz, like any movie. And then there's this death and rebirth kind of of who they are, and they end up with some elixir, some some victory at the end. And that's kind of, I think, how we've come to embrace our story, which is a story to story, because the problem is God doesn't have to show up in that story. At all. What do you need God for? Right. And like in, I take the Rocky movies, like at the end of Rocky, which I love those movies, but at the end of Rocky, he wins, you know, he's got the flag around him, his wife's there in the ring, and he his fist goes up in the air. It's major victory for that fight. But Rocky too, he's kind of the same guy. 
like he won a fight, yeah. but there was no transformation. Yeah. And, and so in our life, yeah, we can have these minor breakthroughs. We can have these things happen and kind of try to make life work on our own, but we don't want the hero's journey. We want the journey into story one with yeah. God. Yeah. From time to time in world history, God shakes the world to shake the kingdoms of this world, but also to expose the divided allegiances of his people. He takes away some of our story to resources, whether yes. it's health during the COVID thing and everybody's locked up or it's finances during the 2008 thing. And right, mm -hmm. he will do these shakings in order to draw the hearts of his people back to him. And to show us our practical yes. agnosticism, I want to call it an operating agnosticism. We say, no, 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 I'm, I believe in God, but he, we're not asking him, what is the story you have for me? We're just operating functionally out of our personal resources and those things around us. And what's so beautiful about the Eden option is it's this, it's light, it's whimsical, it's invitational reading. It's, it's a very inviting book. It's not the normal book format even. You did it in like a— It's a six-by-six like, six square. Yeah, six-by-six six yeah. square with all these graphics and these little call-outs. I mean, it's, it's a creative read, but the invitation is so eternally winsome to just reflect, hey, reflect from this angle. Hey, reflect from this angle. Hey, what about this? on how to get back into the story that God is inviting each of us into. Exactly. I, I wanted this to be light, accessible to the reader, something that they could share with a neighbor, a son, daughter, parent. But while it is easy to get through, it is a deeper invitation into something that could change radically the way a person lives their life each day. Yeah, I love that. I love the subhead. You say the world is unraveling, but that doesn't have to be your reality. The Eden option, choosing a story one life and a story two world. First off, congratulations. Thanks, John. This is awesome you, that this is out. It's a beautiful gift to the people of God. And where can folks get it? It's available on Amazon. And so they can get it there. Um, and if somebody wants to read like the first section of the book just for free, they can go to with Allen, W-I-T-H-A-L-L-E-N.com backslash books. What they'll find is the whole first section of the book that they can sample, read. Oh, beautiful. See what they think. Yeah, great. We'll put that in the show notes as Good. well. So okay. people can click on that. The Eden option Friends, I think you're going to find it light, but inviting. It's a course correction for us to get back into the story of God. 